Scripture reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. Uh, follow along in your Bible as you're invited to do that. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the back that uh, you are free to have as well. Chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have been obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the revelation of God to the church. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. We launched into a study of the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter, Paul's epistle to churches in the area of Ephesus way back in the middle of the, the first century. And this is a wonderful, famous, ancient letter that contains wonderful truths for us to live by. And we launched into it last week. If you, wanna, if you weren't available to be with us, you can find last week's recording on our website. And I'm calling the series, oh, there it is. I'm calling the series Grace emerging, how grace emerges um, through us and into our lives and into our church and into the community through us. Now, the words that were just read in the original Greek language in which the letter was written almost 2,000 years ago, it was all one sentence. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 14 were one enormous run-on sentence of 202 Greek words. It is the second longest sentence in all of the New Testament. The longest was also written by Paul. One scholar a hundred years ago called this passage a kaleidoscope of dazzling lights and shifting colors. And you can understand why when you look at the opening, verse 3, where Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, if you're a Christian and you're not feeling very blessed right now as an American, 
or you're not feeling very blessed living in Maryland or in Carroll County, or you don't feel blessed in your work or in your relationships or in your finances, fear not. Be encouraged and listen up today because you are blessed, as Paul said, in the heavenly places. You are blessed in the heavenly places, and that is how he began his letter, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to consider the wonders of this passage. This passage is loaded with wonders that cannot be contained in this sermon today. The wonders of these verses cannot be contained in all the sermons and all the books that have ever been written and ever been spoken about what Paul is talking about here. It should blow our minds away. Because Paul details what I am calling and what he says, the riches of God's grace. That's what he starts talking about, the riches of God's grace. Now, whether it's an athlete, uh, you know when an athlete dominates a game or when an actress, you know, dominates a play or a movie, we say things like, wow, that game was all Ronaldo, right? Like that was all Viola Davis. That movie was all Viola, that her performance was amazing. Or like last night, I watched my New York Giants get slapped around the field by the Philadelphia Eagles all night, all night. And I'm not kidding, I thought I'm gonna mention it tomorrow because one of the announcers literally said, this has been all Eagles. That was not good news to me. But I got good news for you today. That has nothing to do with American football. The story of our salvation, according to the Apostle Paul, was all God. When you think about being saved and being a Christian and being forgiven by God and living eternally, that is all God. The story of your salvation from beginning to, get, beginning to end is all God. And so we're going to look at what Paul said about what God has done in eternity and what God has done in history also. And we're going to talk about what God has done in us, in you, in me and in us as a community of faith. What God has done in eternity, what God has done in history, and what God is doing in you, in us, even right now. God in eternity, let's start there. In eternity, God chose us to be his beloved, adopted children. It's that specific. Paul describes in detail how God has blessed the Christian in a heavenly sense, in the heavenly places, in, in an outer, in, in an otherworldly sense, how he has done that. And he says in verse four, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Now the word chose there grammatically speaking, is the most important verb in the entire passage. The word chose is what stands out the most. It commands everything else in the passage. And Paul uses chose on purpose. The word chose, it, it communicates that God was specific about you. Think of when you select something that you want. God was particular. God was intentional about you. Not because of anything, 
you know, not because he's watching you live your life right now and he's so pleased with the job that you're doing. Uh Uh-uh. Watch this. Before the foundation of the world, we are told he chose you. Before the foundation of the world, before time, space, okay? Before the material universe, before the earth that we live on was, you know, came into being somehow, however that happened, God picked you out. He selected you, Paul says. Before you ever won anything or earned anything, before you ever cheated or lied or failed or broke a law or broke someone's heart, God said, this one's mine. He thought of you before you ever existed and said, this one belongs to me. Now, how is that possible? Look at verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. Now, that's, that's women and men because for the ancients, the sons were the ones who would inherit. So it means all of us in heirs. Adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Right, so just like you had nothing to do with your natural biological birth, you had nothing to do with being born, that was all your parents, right? Well, you had nothing to do with your salvation, Paul is saying. In love, God did all of that. Your salvation, that was all God from before the foundation of the world. What beautiful words to read, right? This wonderful dazzling kaleidoscope as it was called what beautiful words to read but what difficult words to accept right let's be honest how difficult it might be to accept that it's not all brian it's not all you we are not all that morally speaking we're not even some of that because of anything that god anything that you did right When God looks at your life, it's not because of any good decisions you've made, any righteous or moral acts you've committed that God decided to save you. That's what it says here. We were not chosen before the world began and predestined for adoption because of anything that God could predict about your life or foresee in time and space. You know, some people look at passages like this and they wrestle with it and they they try and claim or or put on God some type of a pre-science, a pre-knowledge, that God can look into history and look into the future and see your life and see all of the decisions you've made and all of your relationships and everything you've done and realize now there's a good gal. Now there's a good guy. I want her. I want him. The prescient knowledge of God is what some people claim. But the more you think about it, it really just reduces him to a divine fortune teller. Do we simply want to believe in a creator that can simply look into the future and predict how we'll turn out? The theologian R.C. Sproul wrote that if the Reformation view, we'll talk about the Reformation some other time, if the Reformation view of original sin is correct, now listen to this, then God would see no fallen creature choose him in the future. 
God would know from all eternity that left to themselves, fallen creatures will not choose him. If God could see into the future, all he would see is us deciding to not choose him and to choose ourselves and to choose our own way. The Bible says, despite what we would be, God chose you in love. How? According to the purpose of his will. And that is a mystery we trust by faith. So, if that's what God did in eternity, what about in history, right? Let's talk about the human theater of our lives. God in history redeemed us through the life and work of his son. Even in our domain, the cause of these blessings is still all God. If you look at verses 7 and 8 and 9, I'm going to read them all. I'm not going to paraphrase them because they're important. In him, he's talking about Jesus Christ. In him, we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. The mystery of God's blessings, you know, how he was going to do it, how despite humanity's rebellion, he was going to turn things around. The mystery of all of that was revealed in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on a Roman cross in history. See, at the cross 2,000 years ago, the grace of God emerged from out of eternity into human history. And the late New Testament scholar F.F. F. Bruce gave us a wonderful definition of grace. Now, we throw the word grace around a lot. What the early Christians, what the authors of the New Testament meant by grace was this. It is God's eternal and unconditioned goodwill which found decisive expression in time in the saving work of Christ. And I think we should highlight the word he uses there, unconditioned. Grace is unconditional goodwill. Unconditional, meaning we didn't earn it, we cannot lose it, and we cannot repay it. We could never repay it. Unconditioned, eternal goodwill exercised, made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, as a church, my encouragement to you today is do what Paul asks you to do, worship. Like, the big picture today is you read all of this and you go, wow, look at what God has done for me. Look at what God has done for us. Worship and praise a God who has immeasurably blessed you. This phrase comes up three times with different wording to the praise of his glorious grace. Paul says it three times. And the Reformation scholar John Calvin said that what Paul was trying to do here is rouse our hearts to gratitude, to set them all on flame. 
The goal here for Paul at the beginning of his letter is to move his readers towards worship and praise and gratitude for what God has done. Because if we can't point to anything in our lives that we have done to save ourselves, we simply must worship. There's nothing else to do. If it's out of your hands, if it's all God, then we simply must worship and praise him. A healthy church. Remember what I said this, this book, it's not just about you and Jesus. It's about us. It's about Jesus and us as a family of faith. A healthy church. I'm going to try to keep bringing back the truths of Ephesians to what it implies for us as a church. A healthy church emphasizes grace. The grace that we're defining here in Ephesians. From our salvation that was taken care of in the heavenly places and on the cross to, you know, every event and every activity and every opportunity and everything we do as a church, everything in all things, God gets the credit. Whether it was accomplished for you before the beginning of time or on the cross or with every little step we take and we see the blessings of God in Carroll County and in Deep Run Church, God gets the glory. His grace becomes the story of it all so that our lives are like an epistle to the community, to our friends and coworkers and family and to the world. Our lives are an epistle as a healthy church always emphasizes grace. There is no room in the church for people taking credit for anything. Now, regarding our salvation, we contribute nothing. When we have hospitality in the back and somebody brings coffee and somebody brings cookies, you contributed coffee and cookies. People contributed all sorts of loving things just to be able to be here today and sit in a chair and have people teach your children and have music. People are contributing all sorts of things, but regarding your salvation, your status before a holy, perfect God who created you, you have contributed nothing. Paul's words are inescapable. You read this passage and you have nowhere to go if you want to claim some responsibility for your salvation. Of course we have a role to play. Of course. We're not robots. We are free creatures. Of course we have a role to play, and we're going to get to that. Stay tuned, chapters 4, 5, and 6. But we should be nothing but amazed into worship by this passage. I, I used to struggle with these ideas. God chose me before I chose him. He predestined me before there was even such a thing as North America? What? But let me ask you a question. And look, I'm saying it humbly because I wrestled with this stuff throughout my own life. Why are you so intent on proving what you have contributed to your religion? Even worse, why are you so intent on proving that you had something to do with your own salvation? Where does that thinking come from? I will tell you, it does not come from thinking in terms of grace. It does come from thinking in terms of self. And that is something as Americans, as Westerners, with rights, 
that we have to begin to think about as we look at the Bible and realize actually we didn't save ourselves. We didn't choose to choose God. There is no room in Christianity for people taking credit for anything except their own sin. The only thing I can take credit for in my salvation is my sins deserved eternal damnation. But Jesus, who loved me from before the beginning of time, saved me by dying in my place. That's the only thing I get to take credit for in the equation of my salvation is my sins put Jesus on the cross. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, or if you're here today and you don't like anything that's coming out of my mouth, which, by the way, is coming out of the Bible, um, let me ask you an honest question. Are, are, you, are you trying to build your legacy on the riches of your own efforts? You know, I still struggle with this every day of my life. Are you trying to build a legacy built on the riches of your best behavior and your best accomplishments and your best thinking and your best intentions for your neighbors and the people that you love the most? Listen, here's a warning. There is no exchange rate in heaven uh, for the currency of using your own accomplishments to please God. There, there is no exchange rate in heaven for the currency of your accomplishments here on earth, right? Even, even the best ones and the purest ones are worthless in God's economy to earn his love, to earn his acceptance. There is no exchange rate when you stand before a perfect creator and say, hey, this is everything I've got. Translate it now, Father, into the currency of the heavenly places in all eternity. He's going to tell you, I'm sorry, your money, it's like monopoly money. You've been playing around, but it's not going to get you anything here. You need a heavenly currency that was paid by God's Son and sealed by God's Spirit. And that's what Paul talks about next. Because God has placed his seal of authenticity in us as we give ourselves to Jesus and stop trying to be our own saviors. He places his seal of authenticity in us. We've talked about what he did in eternity and in history, but he's still doing something right now in you, in us as a faith family, and that's the currency that we need. That is the riches of God's grace. Look at verses 13 and 14. Here are the riches of his grace. In him you also Again, he's talking about Jesus. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. There it is. Those who trust in Jesus for their salvation are sealed with God's Spirit, who now resides in you. See God in eternity, God in history, but now God in you, now God in us, his spirit in us, sealing us until all of this is given to us in the end. That's the guarantee. The Holy Spirit in you is the guarantee, is God's 
certification that you're legit, that what he's done in eternity and in history for you is legit. It's not phony. It's not fake. It's not false news. The spirit in you is God's mark of legitimacy. So, like, you know, think about used cars, right? So you go to buy a used car, and if you can't afford or think it's unwise to buy a brand new car, you look for a used car. And the really good ones are what? Certified pre-owned, right? You go to the Honda dealer and you look for the ones that say certified pre-owned and you open the hood and there's like 30, 40 different little paint marks where professional mechanics have said good, 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 good. And they sell it to you as a pre-owned certified vehicle, right? Now the vehicle doesn't certify itself. The dealership has to work in the vehicle and certifies it that way. And so the Christian is certified, is guaranteed, is sealed by a father who chose you in eternity. And the Christian is certified by the son who died for you in history. And the Christian is certified by the Holy Spirit who lives in each of us now. You see, the story of our salvation is all God from beginning to end. So worship him, praise him, the God who has immeasurably blessed you. As we said this morning from Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. May our lives May our church in its worship and in its work highlight the riches of his grace. I'm so excited to explore this letter together with you. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we read this and we read it again and again and we even study it and we still don't grasp what it fully means. We know enough. We know that you saved us and we didn't save ourselves. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for our sins. Thank you, our Father, for thinking of us, for loving us before the world even existed. We can't even imagine that. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being in each of us. Would you work in us as a church as we intend to launch into this world and into this county to bring the riches of your grace to those who need it. We sing your praises and worship now. Amen.